Are you looking to expand your brand this year? Want to make your business stand out above the rest? Well, there's no better way to grow than with your own podcast. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, a small business, or a massive company, you need a podcast in 2024. Podcast Plus is an easy and efficient way for you and your brand to join the podcast revolution. There's no better way to position your company as the go-to authority than with a podcast that showcases your industry knowledge, insights, and expertise. The studios at Podcast Plus are state-of-the-art with top-of-the-line production quality. And if you're just starting out, Podcast Plus offers professional script writing, editing magic, and can conceptualize your show, create your cover art, and get you ready to stream on all major platforms. We'll market your podcast as well, showcasing it on radio stations and digital streams across the country. Expand, enhance, and extend your company and brand and reach potential clients and customers 24-7. Find out more at podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. That's podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. This show will begin shortly after these messages from our advertisers. Advertising is what keeps the show alive. Your support means they'll continue to advertise and the podcast will continue to be free. This statement has not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Are you in bad pain? You know what I mean. Your knees hurt, your shoulder hurts, and your back. Oh my God, your back. They're constantly killing you. And I'm sure you've tried every pain pill or cream available at the drugstore. Am I right? Well, here is something you haven't tried. Pain Absolve. Pain Absolve is not available in any drugstore. The only way to get it is by calling today. We're so confident that it will work for you that we offer a free bottle with your purchase. No prescription needed. And best of all, each purchase comes with a money-back guarantee. Call now to find out how you can get Pain Absolve and get rid of your pain. Call 800-261-0783. That's 800-261-0783. 800-261-0783. Call today. 800-261-0783. Are you lacking a little something between paranormal and abnormal? You need the Into the Parabnormal store. Now open at parabnormalradio.com. From hoodies to shirts, accessories, and our digital music library, it's all available in the Into the Parabnormal store. Your purchase directly helps support the show. Thanks for buying from the Into the Parabnormal store at parabnormalradio.com. Major sighting here. It's all the place. Holy Parabnormal. Somewhere between abnormal and paranormal. I see dead people. Are we alone in the universe? Is Bigfoot real? How the hell do you evict a ghost? And will disclosure ever be reality? There's no smoke screens here. I want the truth! Can we really trust them? You can't handle the truth! Hello? Hello? Watch your step. Hide under your blankets. Whatever you do, prepare yourself for what you're about to hear. Traveling into the witching hour from the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest, you're riding into the pair of normal. T-minus five hours and counting. In fact, just a little under for those of us here on the West Coast until we bang the pots and pans like we used to do when we were kids. I'm not sure if I'll be doing that for this year, but it certainly was fun back in the day. 
And what a way to ring out 2016 and ring in 2017 with a star-studded lineup tonight. We've got the likes of the wonderful Preston Dennett and the fantastic John Titer. Or Teeter, if you prefer, but Titer, if he prefers. And he should know because it's him, and he's on the program tonight. Preston Dennett coming up right now. Of course, if you haven't heard of Preston Dennett, he is a ufologist or a UFO investigator. And after his friends and family started, well, basically sharing their experiences with him about all sorts of paranormal occurrences, they run the gamut. He's an accountant by day, a ghost hunter, as he says, by night. And he literally does go after more than just ghosts. So over the last, it's been 30 years since Preston Dennett has been on this quest doing what he's doing. He's interviewed, well, hundreds and talked to at least a thousand witnesses of so much paranormal phenomena. We couldn't even cover it in the course of a two-hour program, which we did back on August the 28th. For those of you who want to rewind and catch that program, it was episode Number 174, for those of you who want to look it up that way. Preston Dennett, author of, well, just a plethora of books and articles. And we're going to be focusing on his work tonight as found in Not From Here. Selected UFO articles. It's a volume two effort. And the kinds of stuff that you're going to hear on the program are unlike I've ever had before. I got to give you credit, Preston, because... You're not talking about some of the subjects that many people just would ever have probably heard of uh, in many cases. I know I had a few people say, you're talking about what tonight on the program? Alien drinks and whatnot. So I want folks to hang around because the stuff that we're going to hear tonight is unlike even some stories that I have heard about over the years of doing many of these shows, talking with many people and actually even with Preston once before. So... I want to start with the UFO investigator's disease because you are a UFO investigator, and at times, Preston, that can be um, maybe a little bit dangerous. I mean, we have heard about men in black sightings and whatnot. What is UFO investigator's disease? Uh, yeah, this is something I kind of ran into with the Whitley Strieber case. Uh, Ed Conroy, a mainstream journalist, heard about Whitley Strieber and decided he was going to expose him as either a fraud or a legitimate case. Um, he found the case very interesting, and so he immersed himself in the whole Whitley Strieber, in his uh, Whitley Strieber's case. And as a result, he started to have encounters, and not just encounters. I mean, he ended up having some pretty dramatic stuff happen to him, including missing time. Uh, bl- blood spots on his pillow, uh, tapped phones, uh, black helicopters hovering over his house, th- this sort of thing. And he coined the term UFO researcher's disease. And I thought, wow, you know, I instantly thought of some other cases uh, like this. Uh, I know that Ray Fowler, around that time, had come forward and said, you know, I'm not only a UFO investigator, uh, he, he's responsible for the Betty Andreessen case, and of course a lot others. He's highly respected, uh, real pioneer in the field. And he said he's not only a UFO investigator; he's had experiences too, which he actually denied for quite some time. But turns out fit this whole profile. 
He had visitations in his bedroom, close-up sightings of UFOs, the whole deal. And I thought, oh, my God, you know, Bud Hopkins had a sighting. Mm -hmm. and that's how he got involved. And I started going down the list of researchers, and I found that pretty much all of them were in bed with this phenomena to some degree. Uh, Brad Steiger, good example, saw yep. an alien outside his bedroom when he was a little boy. Um, got independent corroboration of it later as well. Richard Boylan, he claimed to have been taken on board a craft and seen grade-type aliens. Uh, Bill Hamilton, same type of thing. Leo Sprinkle, one yep. of the first people who ever actually even used hypnosis uh, to under uncover uh, am amnesia episodes, missing time with abductees. He started that. <laughs> remember stuff that happened to him and eventually came out and said, you know what? I was taken on board. They told me I was going to be very important, doing very important work, uh, teaching people. They showed him the star fields. They showed him the planet. So yeah, it goes on from here. And, and what really got me to write this article, Jeremy, is uh, it started to happen to me. And mind you, I have never seen anything growing up. And lived in a, a hot spot, really. Topanga Canyon is where I grew up in Southern California, uh, which turns out it's got a lot of heavy-duty activity there. I never saw anything. and never saw anything until I started investigating this stuff. And I have to tell you, it was not long, maybe a year, before I had my first sighting, which was followed by another and another. And some, you know, they started to get much closer. I've had some really close-up stuff happen to me now. So that's what got me to write this stuff, this particular chapter, this article, because uh, it happened to me. It hit home. What do you mean you've had some close-up stuff happen, Preston? Well, the first time it happened was very benign. I was one of the first UFO meetings I ever went to to hear this contactee speak about his encounters, Andy Rice. I still remember. This was down in downtown Santa Monica, California, and uh, he told about his encounters, and he said, you know – during his uh, presentation, he said, I'll try to call down a UFO for anyone who wants to see. Mind you, there had to be 50, maybe 100 people in that room listening to him. Only about 10 or 20 of us went out there with, into this park across the street to see if he could call down a UFO, which I thought was astonishing. Because, I mean, if, do you want to see a UFO or not? I mean, really, if there's a chance, I can't imagine no one would do it. But there was some who did. And he put us all in a circle and said, okay, let's meditate. And I thought, oh, no. And I was pretty disappointed because I thought, you know, just call down your darn UFO. <laughs> I'm not here to meditate. But, you know, all right, I was open-minded enough. So I did it for, it wasn't long, maybe a minute or two. Uh -huh. And uh, he points to the sky and says, look there. Look there, they're coming. It's, they're coming. At, it's going to be any second. And boom, there it was. You know, he hadn't pointed to the sky for more than 15, 20 seconds when this it looked like a shooting star. It looked like a very, very bright shooting star. But I was impressed because you couldn't see any stars in the sky. There was so much darn light pollution. This was, you know, a downtown city. And he pointed right to where it came from, and boom, there it was. So that was the first one, very benign, but and really nothing compared to what I've seen by now. I'd say the next big one was when I went up to, with my brother and sister-in-law up to Crater Lake Campgrounds. And meanwhile, Topanga Canyon is having this massive wave. This is around 1992, 
I'm not sure I have the order of these sightings right, but I do remember this one was a good one. And uh, my brother shouts out, oh, I just saw a light. You know, take the flashlight and flash at it. We had brought this big flashlight just in case, you know, something like this happened. And we flashed it, and darn, this thing flashed back. Then we flashed it twice, and it was in a slightly different area, and it flashed back twice. And my sister says it happened again. I think it only was twice. I'm not sure. But it, there was communication there. There was interaction. And, it, and I'm like, wow, you know, I wonder if these things are aware of me. It sure seems like it. And I know they are because around that time, I was back here in L.A. in Woodland Hills visiting my brother and sister-in-law and just talking pell-mell about the alien invasion on our planet. And it got late. I had to go home and go to work. So I'm driving down uh, about to hit Canoga Avenue. This is at night when I see what I thought was a bird come swooping down towards my car. And I saw instantly it wasn't a bird. It was perfectly round. And I'm like thinking golf ball, but, you know, it's, golf balls can't move like this. It came from above and swooped down right in front of my windshield. And I saw that it was this perfectly round ball of light, maybe five feet away from me. No chance of misidentification. I knew instantly it wasn't a reflection or anything because it went back and forth in front of my windshield two or three times and then dipped down a little bit. I was going downhill and up right through the canopy of trees. And I thought, oh, my God, you know, what was that? It couldn't have been a firecracker or anything. It was, this was in late July. So I'm thinking, firecracker, firecracker, what is this? And here's the weird thing. You know, I didn't talk about it. I almost kind of shoved it out of my mind for a good two, three years and didn't tell anybody. I can imagine why not, Preston, um, because they probably, uh, if, you're, if you tell it to the wrong person, I can imagine their reactions. Um, have you ever been threatened for doing the work you do, uh, telling the stories that you do? Well, sort of. I'm going to say there is has been some stuff that I have to question. Um, when I got involved in this subject, right away I started to have phone problems and mail problems. And I tell you, anytime I sent a UFO book or article, if it came back, you know, rejected by the publisher or the magazine or whatever, it was opened. And hmm. pretty much always. And I, I remember my sister came home with me once, and I'm, I was about to open my mailbox. I'm like, you watch and see, you tell me what you think of what is in my mailbox right now. And I opened it up. She's like, well, your mail's opened. And I'm like, yeah, it is. So I wondered about that. And I don't know. Because I can't really say, I mean, maybe it was just badly handled. But all the time, uh, and when I would be doing interviews, particularly into the Topanga Canyon UFO wave, which was a huge, huge case, probably one of my biggest, um, even now. And uh, I would hear these clicks and these static on the phones that was just outrageous. And when email finally came along, uh, not long after this, in the Internet, I started to have email problems, which I continue to have. But I can't really point to that as saying this is direct interference. What I can point to is a direct threat. It was a phone call I got from some government guy who gave his name. Honestly, I don't remember what it was. I was a pretty young man at the time. Uh, just let me see. I was in my mid-20s. Um, had just started doing the UFO research. Really 
forcing myself in. Doing the Topanga Canyon UFO investigation, and he calls me up and says, oh, he's a colonel, and he worked in the dumb war, and he did secret, secret satellite man. What's going on with me? And then finally shifts to the reason he's calling, and he says, you're the UFO researcher, right? And I'm like, yeah, thinking, you know, he's going to tell me something interesting. And he says, you know, what you're doing is dangerous. And I'm like, it is? He says, yeah, you don't know what you're getting into. You have no idea. There's all kinds of dangerous things in here that you shouldn't be looking into. And I'm like, what? And he wouldn't get specific. And he kind of changed tactics. And Because I kept questioning him. I'm like, well, what are you talking about? What's so dangerous? And uh, he shifted tactics and says, you know, there's really nothing to it. There's, there's no pay dirt here. And I instantly thought, well, <laughs> you can't have it both ways. Either there's something to it and it's dangerous, or there isn't and there's no pay dirt. So he was contradicting himself. And that's when I kind of picked up on what was going on here. He was just trying to harass me. And that was the worst that I've ever really experienced. I've had people come up to my tables when I'm doing conventions who look like government guys certainly, mm. and start questioning me on you know, what's going on. And I've had some real bad hecklers um, who are also dressed up in these suits. <laughs> I'm like, it's, so, it's just so obvious to me. I'm like, God, are, really? I mean, why, why are you wearing this suit and you know, it's shiny sunglasses? Why'd even? you dress up for me? <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, nothing where I can point to and say, you know, that I've been hurt. There's been some weird incidences where I'm sure I've been, you know, followed or things like that. One time, pulling out of my condo, about to turn onto the street, and this car comes not quite screeching to a stop, but certainly really stopped abruptly. Pull, looks at me, and pulls out a camera and clicks. And mind you, there's. I'm like, are you taking a picture of me? I look behind me. I'm looking around thinking, what are they taking a picture of? And why would you stop in the middle of the street to take a picture? Well, and you didn't know if it was that or maybe a gunshot. Um, Well, yeah, it was really kind of shocking. Well, I mean, or the the click back of the gun, I guess. If it had been a gun, (laughs) yeah, I'd been in trouble, let me tell you. But it was a camera. I saw it. He wasn't far away. And I thought, all right. Um, I was starting to get some recognition at that point. So I've had things like that, but nothing I can point to and said, where someone said, "Oh, you better not look into that case, or we're put, we're bringing you down," or something like that. No, no, I've been very open with my research. I did have a police tape of the Topanga Canyon, um, you, in the Topanga Canyon UFO incident. There was a, a wave of sightings, and a bunch of people called the police, and I, a police tape was leaked. And I eventually got a hold of it and uh, was playing that all around, all over the place. And that disappeared under very mysterious circumstances. Someone must have come into my house and took it because I only put it in one place. There's just no way I could lose it. There's only one other person who could take it, my sister-in-law, who had access to my house. And she wouldn't take it. I asked her. and She's like, no, I didn't. And it's gone. Never seen it since. And I don't know, sometimes I come home and I'm like, hmm, seems like someone's been here. It just feels like things have been moved and I, I can't point to anything specific, but I sometimes wonder. Another article as featured in his volume two of Not From Here selected UFO articles. Aliens are us, Preston. Yeah, I know it, it sounds strange, but... uh. 
what this article is about is what exactly our relationship is with ETs, uh, particularly the greys. And again, this is something that's always bothered me is that they look so much like us with eyes, nose, mouth. And this is right down the board. I mean, finding an alien that is not humanoid in shape is very rare. And even robotic cases, people will describe eyes and mouth and things like this, arms. So what is going on here? Is the humanoid shape universal? How are these guys related to that to us? I mean, the fact that some ETs look utterly human, you can't distinguish the difference. What does this say about human origins? And if you look into various cases, it's pretty revealing. Now, with the greys, I started to you know hear cases about people would say, they'd ask the ETs, you know, why, are, why did you abduct me? And oftentimes you'd hear the answer, well, not often, but occasionally you'd hear the answer, you are one of us, or you were us in a past life, or this sort of thing. And uh, started to run into more cases like this from other researchers. Carla Turner had a number of these, case, these types of cases. Uh, John Mack did. He had people who were, felt so much kinship to the ETs that they were more loyal to them than to him as a, a UFO researcher trying to get information. There was stuff they would not reveal. So I, I found more and more of these cases, and I started to really kind of look into it. And uh, another thing that kind of I think is related to all this and that puzzles me is the time travel aspect. I always thought of ETs. My favorite theory is that we're dealing with biological entities from another planet. I don't think they're demonic. I don't think that there's some weird control system that's wearing different masks. Or I think the most popular theory, that one that explains the evidence best, is alien. However, there's this weird time travel aspect. And I kept running into cases where people would tell me that the aliens have the ability to time travel. And, for example, one guy up in uh, the uh, Midwest, he told me about how he was on his farm with his... He was a kid at the time. Or Actually, no, he he was old enough... You know, I don't know. I'll have to look that up. But the point of the story is there was this UFO hovering over house. Looking at it, they're running around screaming, and he runs into the house to get his rifle, which had a scope on it. He wasn't planning on shooting this UFO. He wanted to look through it. And uh, he runs outside... And the UFO is gone. He's like, oh, darn. And he looks around, and everyone in his family is frozen. They're frozen in place. His father is carrying a bucket of water or or milk or something, and it's slopping over the edge. There are birds stopped in the sky, and he's walking around trying to figure out what's going on, feeling sick to his stomach because this is not normal, and looks down and sees that the UFO has now landed in his front yard, and there are gray-type ETs walking towards him. This was too much for him, and he passed out. But the point is, they're controlling time here. Another case where this lady was in Georgia, had a car accident. She says right after the accident occurred, she was pulled out by these gray-type ETs who had been with her her whole life, and they told her, oh, you weren't supposed to die in this accident. We're going to repair your brainstem. Um, this is what she recalled. And uh, they repaired all the wounds on her face and a number of other things, left her with a bunch of injuries, which they told her were karmic, and they did not have, they were not going to heal her completely. 
because she had to deal with it, and put her back in the scene of the accident seconds after it occurred. So are these ETs from the future is the question, because this is a, another theory that's coming around and is getting to be pretty popular. Are they time travelers? And speaking towards that is the fact that these greys in particular are interbreeding with us. And they're saying flat out, you know, you are us, we are you. There was one case with Whitley Strieber that he wrote about where a lady saw these ETs and she's like, oh, ew, you're so ugly. And they said, don't worry, one day you will look just like us. So what what's going on here? Are these aliens from another planet or are they our ancestors, our children, so to speak, um, many generations removed. Um, I think that's, you know, a theory I'm not going to, I'm not prepared to completely let it go yet mm-hmm. because it speaks towards some of this evidence. Oh, you just wait where we head next with Preston Dennett as the best of 2016 continues. And then it's John Titer, the time traveler, coming up next hour. You're in the right place. Four hours, 30 minutes on the West Coast. Until 2017, I'm Jeremy Scott on Into the Parabnormal. On Twitter, follow at Parabnormal Show for everything Into the Parabnormal. Parabnormal News with Carissa Fleck. Could it be a long-lost relative of the infamous Loch Ness Monster? Not mainstream. His main mission is to search for signs of intelligent life. Not middle of the road. Emails to Hillary Clinton staffers about UFOs and even aliens. Not for the state of heart. It's as if it never happened, but we know otherwise. Paranormal news at the bottom of the hour. How's that for a wake-up call? Only on Into the Paranormal. Profile America, Saturday, December 31st. On this New Year's Eve, some 322 million Americans of all ages and backgrounds are ready to greet the year 2017. A hundred years ago, the U.S. population was just about 102 million. Fifty years ago, it was around 198 million. The 2010 census counted just under 309 million people. To show how the nation is growing, New Year's Day will be the birthday of about 10,800 newborns, the first of whom will be reported in the media. These new arrivals will be joined by others, the 3,085 or so international migrants adding to our net population every day. And there's plenty to draw from. The population of the wider world outside the U.S. is reckoned around 7.3 billion people. The men and women of the U.S. Census Bureau wish you a happy, safe, and prosperous New Year. This is Into the Parabnormal, 24-7, powered by Radionomy at ParabnormalRadio.com. Paranormal News, I'm Carissa Fleck. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's With all the talk of doomsday, are you really worried about our chances? Dr. Fergus Simpson, a cosmologist at the University of Barcelona, says the human race has a 13% chance of surviving the end of a century. In an academic paper, he says we have a 1 in 500 shot at meeting our proverbial maker, and it's naive to believe that the risk of annihilation is low. He believes humanity will spell the end more than a natural disaster and points to the states with nuclear weapons. 
The Global Challenges Foundation says the number one doomsday scenario is a natural pandemic, like a superbug, followed by a nuclear war and an engineered pandemic. Despite the high odds of those killing us, it's a pretty low risk of happening. The doc says, while we may not be able to avoid the inevitable, it is within our power to delay it. A theory that goes against all conventional understanding of space and time could help us a better understanding of time travel. A team of researchers says it's possible. Professor Howard Wiseman and Dr. Hall from Griffith University Center of Quantum Dynamics says that multiple timelines are playing out in parallel universes and can affect each other. Dr. Dirk Andre Durkett from the University of Cal states that our universe is one of many enormous worlds, some identical to our reality and others completely different. Because they are all on the same timeline, they are essentially bump into each other. Are you convinced? Is it a bird? Drone? How about Mothman? Sightings of the mythical creature at Point Pleasant in West Virginia have reported as far back as 1966. So what's new, you ask? The creature with creepy red eyes, 10-foot wings, and a human-like body had been dormant for many years until a man driving on State Route 2 pulled over to take some pictures after seeing it jump between trees. Some people believe that Mothman only shows up to warn of tragedy. Connect with tonight's stories at paraabnormalradio.com. Coming through your speakers into the pair of normal. Could our ancestors be aliens? Preston Dennett is blowing my mind yet again on the best of 2016. There's a lot of parties happening tonight, but this is certainly one of the best as the roads we're heading down in this final half hour with Preston Dennett are going to make you rethink everything you ever knew about these subjects. The incredible shrinking abductee is a study of a very unusual type of encounter in which people are affected by ET technology in ways that are mind-boggling and bizarre, including what? Being shrunken in size, Preston? Yes. And I first heard you know, I heard about this on the Weekly World News. I saw a little article. I'm like, oh, that's that's got to be a complete lie. But found out that, no, Betty Andreessen said that this actually happened to her, that she saw them shrinking down UFOs. She saw a man get taken on board a UFO, and they shrunk that thing down to this tiny little you know, softball-sized thing, and off it went. They even had a name for it. They call it deopulating. And I started to run into more cases like this. There was a case up in Oregon, family, where they left they were taken on board, and they would be different sizes. We're at in Oregon. Molala, Oregon. All right, just outside the Portland metro area, about 45 minutes or so. Yeah, a really amazing case. So there's a number of cases like this. And not only that, there were cases of people, like, uh, 
In uh, Wyoming, there was the case of Carl Higdon, really well-known case. He comes upon this UFO while elk hunting, um, and an entity, by the way. And this UFO is box-shaped, It's and it's not big. It's maybe 10, 12, 10 by 12 feet. It's pretty darn small. But he's taken inside it, and this thing is huge. This is absolutely enormous. So these guys can skip across light years. They can control time, and they have control over space to a certain degree. There's a lot of cases where UFOs are changing shape, where they're starting out as a ball of light, and it, it expands into a mothership. And I've talked to people who've been on board when this happened. There was one guy I interviewed who had a case. He's a medical corpsman in the Navy. He's actually taken off his Navy ship. Uh, and into this giant UFO, which was piloted by the praying mantis-type ETs, one of the more rare types I get. Mm, yeah. Uh, they're 15 feet tall, just absolutely, I'm not exaggerating. Their one eyeball of them was the size of a basketball. He said they were milk-white, sat in these large kind of stone ceramic chairs. Um, he didn't look at them until the very end of the experience. But at any rate, what he noticed was the room kept changing sizes. He says it was very disorienting because there was this panel, this computer panel, which would stretch and contract, and he, it was very disorienting. I talked to another guy in uh, North Carolina who had a, an experience uh, with being taken on board a triangular ship with his wife and two friends, and he ended up having a bunch of encounters I interviewed him you know, a couple of times at least. He wrote a book, uh, The Triangle Abduction, and he was able to talk to these ETs to a certain extent I mean, and really interact with them and uh, learn the reasons why he was being abducted and what they were there for and this sort of thing. They were very interested in emotions and things like this. And uh, he started to become curious about the size of the ship because it was so darn big, but other times it seemed smaller. And he finally asked them, you know, how big is this ship? And they laughed and said, it's as big as we need it to be. So they have the ability to control things to such a degree. I mean, it's, it is mind-boggling. And let, let me just slip in one more case, if I may, because it's my favorite. This is my favorite chapter, I think, because it really illustrates the technological prowess of these guys. There's a case investigated by Leonard Stringfield, the crash retrieval guy, really respected researcher. And he talked to this guy in the Army whose job it was to, as a photographer. And he was taken on this top-secret mission to photograph this UFO in, a, I believe it was a California air base. Uh, he's told to photograph the outside of this UFO. Um, his specialized was photographing metal and things like this. So he's photographing this UFO, which he said was saucer-shaped, about 20, 30 feet across, not big. And they asked him to go inside and photograph that as well. And he walked inside, and his eyes bulged out because this thing was huge. He says it was so big that you could not have taken a rock and thrown, across, thrown it across and hit the other side. Much bigger on the inside than on the outside. So, and I... Run across other cases like this. So Jacques Vallée mentioned a couple of cases like this. Other researchers have. Uh, Clifford Stone, I just heard about a case from him. So, yeah, these guys 
are, can control time and space. And there isn't even a case where they've enlarged people. One lady was struck by a beam of light, and she grew like three feet over a period of a, a month or two, a child. So, yeah, but their, their technology is amazing. Instead of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, it's Honey, Aliens Shrunk the Kids, I guess. <laughs> Preston Dennett tonight talking about Not From Here, his latest book, Selected UFO Articles, Volume 2, his website, Preston Dennett, with two N's and two T's, dot Weebly dot com. He's author of many other books, and, of course, he's a mutual UFO investigator as well. Preston also talks about a substance called angel hair, which is something that is ejected from a UFO. That's a new one for me as well, Preston. Yeah, this is a pretty rare phenomenon. You don't hear a lot about it. There's been a number of studies on it. So I put together, this is an older article that I wrote, and I put together all these different cases and uh, updated it with new cases and all the new information which has come in. And angel hair occurs across the world. It's this weird substance that's ejected from UFOs for some unknown reason. There are various theories such as this is the exhaust from engines or some byproduct of their electromagnetic or plasma engines or what have you, which I think is probably the correct theory and certainly the most popular. Um, other theories is that maybe they're doing it on purpose. Maybe this is to have some effect on people or on our atmosphere or something like this, uh, which is certainly possible. Um, there's actually a case, one of my favorite cases in this chapter, is uh, one which occurred right where I lived, actually for years, and I'm still only a few miles away from, here in the San Fernando Valley. Uh, it involved a bunch of witnesses. This was in the uh, late 1950s, I believe. I'd have to look that up to get you the exact date. But at any rate, it involved these two large spherical objects, silver, which were racing across the San Fernando Valley here and uh, started and were being chased, actually, by military jets. And as they zipped off, they ejected this substance, which is very cotton candy-like. It's very spiderweb-like. In fact, that was the skeptic's theory, that this is spiderwebs. Clearly not spiderwebs. Um, people saw this coming out of these objects, and there was so much of it, it actually draped over about three blocks, covering cars, telephone wires, trees, homes. Um, and here's where it gets weird. And this is the rule with angel hair. And they weren't uh, making pasta with this stuff. Go ahead, Preston. <laughs> no, it's not pasta because, I mean, you can try, but what happens is <laughs> you touch it and it dissolves. It sublimes into the atmosphere almost immediately. Some people are able to, like, gather into a ball, and it's this weird gelatinous stuff, but then it's gone. Some samples have been saved over the years, and there are some uh, weird chemicals in here that they don't quite understand how they're getting there. But uh, for the most part, no, it's been almost impossible to analyze this stuff, and has been for years and years. And yet there are cases all across the United States. There's some remarkable cases in France where whole a whole school ran out and saw this stuff. All the children, all the teachers saw the substance just fall to the ground. And it, it seems to be some sort of static electric charge to it because it will leap out at, at you or run away, you know, kind of jerk away. Um, they don't know what it is, though. And that's what's so bizarre. They have no idea what this is and uh, have a very difficult time analyzing it because it sublimes so darn quickly.
818-672-6865. Skype into Paranormal. Preston Dennett, my guest. We've got Paranormal News with Carissa Fleck coming up tonight. Uh, bottom of the hour on this program, Saturdays, and of course the final Sunday of the month. And we move on uh, to articles from Not From Here, Selected UFO Articles Volume 2 with Preston Dennett. Um, extraterrestrial gardeners. Most UFO researchers agree that ETs are conducting a scientific survey of our planet, even to the point of collecting samples of plants, animals, and humans. For what purpose, Preston, do we believe? Right. I think that this is definitely one of their main agendas. Certainly that's what the evidence is telling us. They're studying our planet from the top to the bottom. We, When someone's taken on board a UFO, the first most common experience is being physically examined. And I have to tell you, having written UFO healings and rewriting that book, actually, because I've found a hundred more cases, they know more about the human body than we do. They're very interested in us. And as I wrote about in my last book, there was a chapter, Alien Zoos, the former volume, volume one, uh, they're very interested in animals as well and have abducted all kinds of animals. And it holds true for plants. And case after case, they're flying light years just to pick flowers out of someone's field. Um, so, yeah, they're very interested in studying our planet completely. There's a great case in, from South America where these this man and wife were in their home and their neighbors come up and say, you know, we saw a UFO over your house the other night. And we're like, you did? We didn't see it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you should look into that. And they didn't know what to make of it until a few nights later, the wife wakes up and she hears someone in the backyard. And she goes over and looks out the window, and there are these two aliens. You know, typical kind of gray-type description, a large eyes, picking the leaves off of her Swiss cheese plant, a split-leaf philodendron, which is a common house plant. It does have some medicinal properties, but it's certainly not uncommon. And uh, she's like, hey, you know, she saw them, they saw her, and they took off. A few days later, same thing happened, and they stripped this plant bare of its leaves. And there's a lot of cases like this. A case in France where this guy's farming lavender. This is how he makes a living. And someone was picking his lavender flowers, and he couldn't find out who, and found out it was ETs came right on them in their landed saucer as they were stealing his plants. Uh, They actually paralyzed him temporarily as they took off and left. Um, really well-known case, and lots like it. There was one case where this lady was taken on board a UFO, and she wasn't examined, um, not this time. She was taken into this room where it was a pine forest. And she said it was absolutely completely alive. It was about the size of a large gymnasium. She could smell it. And she's not the only one who's seen this type of thing. Betty Andreessen had this same type of thing. These ETs are collecting not only all our species, not only all our genetic material, they're collecting all our plants. I don't think anything on our planet is going to go extinct. And I don't think anything actually has. Because um, some of these cases, particularly the Betty Andreessen case, she saw some creatures which were um, much older. So uh, I think that we don't have to worry about that so much uh, in terms of something being extinct completely. But they seem to be yeah, very interested in our planet. Something that happens rare, but there are some isolated cases of castaways lost at sea who were actually rescued by a UFO, huh, Preston? (laughs) Yeah, sounds bizarre, huh? But 
There are a couple of cases, and uh, this is probably the only collection I know of that's anyone that's put together. I have a big interest in shipwrecks and sea survival and always have. And I started to run across these, and I decided to review all the books I had and was like, wow, a number of people have seen UFOs while lost at sea, floating in their raft. And often they're not rescued, and uh, the UFO moves on. But in one case, there was this really bad storm in the South Pacific in which it was swamping about 20 boats. There was hurricane-force winds, waves up to 100 feet, and uh, there were so many EPIRBs, so many radio beacons, distress beacons, going off at once that the rescuers could not pinpoint any of them. It was just this cross-traffic that had paralyzed their operation. And one of these people, their boat was about to sink. And they had their whole family on board, and they could not uh, get the rescuers to locate them. When suddenly this UFO shows up right over their boat. They looked at its giant ball of light, much bigger than you know ball lightning would be, certainly. Um, it wasn't lightning or anything like that. It stayed above their boat in solid shape for a long time to the point where the radio or the uh, rescuers radioed um, on broad frequency and says, did somebody just launch a flare? What is that light? And this boat, you know, they said, no, we didn't launch a flare, but there's this light right above us, this huge light. And so using this UFO, they called it, they logged it in the rescuer's logbook as a UFO, uh, they were able to pinpoint their location and came, got to them, pulled them off the boat, which sank in just about an hour, just over an hour. So it's a remarkable case, and it wasn't the only case of a UFO helping out on that particular storm. Because uh, uh, after the storm played out, some people had died in this tragedy. There was a boat that was swamped, and the family had been rescued from it, but they lost their boat. And they were pretty upset because they needed it. Um, it was all their life savings. And this UFO shows up right over it and brings in rescuers to, to check it out. And it darts away, and below it is this couple's boat, which had been swamped, that they had been rescued from. And so the rescuers were able to retrieve this boat due to this UFO intervention and get save these people, you know, a lot of hassle in terms of, you know, recovering their funds. So, yeah, it's a strange case. Um, most people who see a UFO at sea, you know, while lost at sea, aren't rescued. But these, in this case, they were. And two very disturbing scenarios, but two very similar scenarios are outlined as well in your book, Volume 2, Not From Here, Preston Dennett, my guest, The UFO Breathing Pool, in which abductees are forced to breathe in a liquid, and in a scenario known as alien drinks, they're actually told to drink liquids. Yes, both are relatively uncommon. Mm. Um, they, they turn up pretty regularly. Well, at least they're at least they're giving them something cool to drink, but <laughs> Yeah, well the breathing pool is not so fun because what happens is people are taken to this liquid which is apparently not water because it sort of slides off them and doesn't get wet. What we think they are like high- jello. We, th- <laughs> we think they're perfluorocarbons because oxygenated liquid of some kind. Hmm. Because what's happening is they go inside these pools in some cases, you know, they're submerged and enclosed. In other cases, they're allowed to just kind of lie in it and submerge themselves. 
and told to breathe this liquid. Um, other cases, they're put in sort of a chair device where this liquid starts to rise up around them. And always the theory has been, well, this is to protect them from gravitational influences when the ships are moving around, which really doesn't make sense because when people are aboard UFOs, there's no sense of movement, and they're finding themselves in very distant locations on occasion, and uh, there's no sense of movement at all. So apparently they've overcome that problem. I think there's other theories raised is maybe it's medical or something, or maybe they're, it's got something to do with measuring the human body by filling in all the empty spaces. You can measure the actual accurate volume. But the truth is we don't know what this is. And this is uncovered by pretty much every major researcher. Um, David Jacobs has cases, uh, Yvonne Smith. I've run across a couple of cases myself. Uh, but uh, we don't know what they are. And it's very unpleasant, usually, for the poor witnesses who find themselves, you know, wanting to hold their breath automatically and forced to breathe this stuff in and are shocked that they, when they find that they actually can breathe. It's very bizarre. Mm-hmm. But very drinks, yeah. Very, very disturbing. Yeah, not fun for the most part. I, 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 don't, I think I'll pass on that one. <laughs> but, but you probably wouldn't be given a choice, Preston, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, that seems to be the case. Um, absolutely, yeah, pretty much that's the rule. And yeah. the, the tenth and final article deals with UFOs and rockets, exploring cases in which UFOs have been observed monitoring a wide variety of rocket and missile launches across the world, very similar to what we talked about about UFOs over nuclear institutions last night. Right, and I put together dozens of cases like this. It's got to be the largest collection of cases in which UFOs have appeared during or rocket launches. And it starts pretty much when we started doing this and continues to the present day. There are case, a case just occurred in China. And there's the UFO swimming right into the viewfinder. You can see this on the Internet if you want. And it flies away. Uh, so, yeah, it started with White Sands is where it really got bad in, in 1947, where we were doing all these launches. And pretty much every time we'd launch a missile, these UFOs would show up. And they were photographed, they were seen through theodolites, which is a measuring instrument with a telescope. And uh, just remarkable, and it continued wherever we did this stuff, in China Lake, in Edwards, in, uh, Seal Beach, uh, wherever we were launching rockets, they were there. And, uh, you know, this goes to such an extent that there are a couple of cases, a case in Nevada, um, where uh, there was a toy rocket. This kid put a little lizard in his toy rocket, launched it off into space, and these UFOs showed up, one, but several, and started flying around their toy metal rocket. So the point being is they are monitoring our ventures into space. I mean, don't even get me talking about the moon missions, which is similar, but a completely different subject, which, same problem. These guys are keeping a very close eye on us, even to the extent of watching toy model rocket launches. Preston, the very best to you. I appreciate you coming on the program. Fantastic work you have, and I look forward to be able to talk with you at another point in time. Hey, anytime. It's always a blast. Certainly all of these stories are not from here. Preston Dennett is the man. John Teeter, the man, in the next hour, he's a time traveler, claims to have worked for the U.S. government. 
in the 177th Time Travel Division at Area 51 between 2030 and 2036. And his story just might beat that of Preston's tonight. It's hard to actually anticipate that. But is John Titer up to the challenge? We'll find out coming up next, an hour away on the East Coast from your 2016 New Year. My friends in Texas, you got about two hours to go. And uh, in Hawaii, where I've been to twice, still another seven hours before, you know, but they're always partying there in Hawaii. So I, I'm sure that it's as if it's already midnight there. From the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest, on New Year's Eve, it's the best of 2016. I'm Jeremy Scott. Subscribe to Into the Paranormal on your favorite apps. iTunes, Google Play Music, Spreaker, Stitcher, and more at paranormalradio.com. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. Do you feel like you're losing control over your finances? If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services and take advantage of the Fresh Start program and new laws that may allow us to negotiate a settlement for the lowest amount possible. Our team of tax attorneys and enrolled agents can stop collections and get you protected so you can take control of your financial future. Tax Mediation Services is accredited by the Better Business Bureau. Call now for a free case review and a price protection guaranteed quote. Call Tax Mediation Services now at 800-616-4530. That's 800-616-4530. 800-616-4530. You're traveling into the paranormal, powered by Radionomy, 24-7 at paranormalradio.com. Listening to Into the Paranormal is always free, but transmitting it is not. If you'd like to help us, click the PayPal link at paranormalradio.com. Just look at what we've done in the past few months with your support. So if you like this program, how about loving it by clicking the PayPal link at paranormalradio.com. Let me ask you a question. Are you getting enough? I bet you'd love more, right? Well, AdamandEve.com wants to give you more with 10 free gifts. First, you'll get a sexy surprise for her. Second, a specially selected toy for him. And third, a little something we know you'll both enjoy. Plus, you'll get six full-length adult movies on DVD. And number 10, free shipping on your entire order. So what do you have to do to get your 10 free gifts? It's not hard. Just go to adamandeve.com and select any one item. It could be an adventurous new toy, sexy piece of lingerie, or anything you desire. Just enter offer code GIFT21 at checkout and you'll get all 10 free gifts. Go check out adamandeve.com today. Select one item and get 10 free gifts, including free shipping, when you enter offer code GIFT21. 
That's G-I-F-T-21 at adamandeve.com. Major sighting here. All the place. Holy Paranormal. Somewhere between abnormal and paranormal. I see dead people. Kind of a eerie feeling. Are we alone in the universe? Is Bigfoot real? How the hell do you evict a ghost? And will disclosure ever be reality? There's no smoke screens here. I want the truth! Can we really trust them? You can't handle the truth! Hello? Hello? Watch your step. Hide under your blankets. Whatever you do, prepare yourself for what you're about to hear. Traveling into the witching hour from the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest, you're riding into the pair of normal. You know, I don't mean to be a buzzkill, but for those of you who are working on this New Year's Eve, you're going to have to work an extra second. That's right. The leap second is being introduced to keep all of our clocks in sync with Earth's rotation. This happens every few years because it actually takes a bit longer than 24 hours to complete a full rotation. In fact, if you're wondering how many seconds, just over 86,400 seconds of them, in fact. Hmm. It's probably something you didn't know about, but ever since Leap Seconds started getting added in 1972, there have only been 17 out of 44 years that have not included the extra second. So watch it. You'll see it go 23, 59, 58, and then 23, 59, 59, and then it's going to have a brain fart, and it's going to wig out for a second before it turns over to the stroke of midnight. Which, by the way, we are now on the West Coast, T-minus four hours. Coming down the home stretch, are you partiers, you revelers in the Eastern time zone, as you're getting ready to watch the ball drop in Times Square in New York City? Well, as if our mind wasn't blown enough with Preston Dennett, get ready to expand you're thinking just a little bit more, with John Titer. Lieutenant, Lieutenant Colonel John Titer served as commander of the 177th Time Travel Division at Area 51 from 2030 to 2036 and says he has traveled not only beyond but also back. And for the very first time, his life story is told in Disclosed Chronicles of John Titer II in which the hidden truths behind humanity's biggest cover-ups are revealed, and we're going to dive headfirst into those. As I spoke to John, we began to tell his story, and I asked him whether or not there is a little bit of danger involved in being John Titer. I get uh, threats against my life, and there's been attempts on my life. Hmm. Uh, I'm the uh, subject of disinformation uh, by the government, and... It, it's uh, all about two factions within our government. Uh, one faction uh, is very much in favor of disclosure and telling uh, America and the rest of the world the truth about extraterrestrials and uh, what's in our future. And there's another faction, uh, just naysayers. Uh, global warming doesn't exist and 
uh, UFOs don't exist and there's no such thing as extraterrestrials. Uh, a fact of the matter is that global warming, it's a fact. Uh, UFOs piloted by uh, U.S. Air Force and extraterrestrials, it's a fact. Um, there's just there's just so much going on, and the American people don't know. Titer or Teeter and John, are you the same John that was interviewed by Art Bell all those years ago? No. <laughs> and and I'll, I'll I'll explain this to you. Uh, when I first retired from the Air Force, and I'd had about thirty years in. I actually went back in time to where uh, my sweetheart was. And uh, I, I came back in time to about a week after the last time I had seen her. And uh, the arrangements were made, and I came back in time. And uh, my uh, soon-to-be wife and I made a decision that I would uh, live out my life in this timeline uh, and under another name. Uh, and I did so for quite a while. And then I started hearing about John Titer and Art Bell and Oliver Williams. And I had never met uh, Oliver Williams or Art Bell. And I started to hear all these amazing predictions and you could do time travel using a Corvette and an IBM 5100 computer. And I just uh, was infuriated. I can't, I can't say. And so I, I didn't do anything right away. And then my uh, then wife came to me and said, why don't you just go on Facebook and, and tell people about your experiences and tell them what you know. Uh-huh. And so... I have uh, four or five different pages on Facebook, and I have over probably uh, 10,000 friends worldwide, and uh, I'm published in the Wall Street Journal and Scientific American and Washington Post, and I write about uh, the environment mostly and politics and uh, threats to the security of the free world. So no doubt there are people out there faking uh, it, claiming to be you, huh? And there's at least a hundred on Facebook. Uh, I was just appalled. And uh, I, I've been uh, confronted by a couple and they try to bluff their way uh, to me and it's, it's just uh, very sad. Alright, John, I gotta, I gotta settle up something. Are you the same John Teeter who on Facebook... Uh, when I booked an interview on another show, I, I suspect it was not you, but because we have imposters out there, I had booked a John Teeter or Titer for a program. We had been in communication over Facebook, and all was well and good until the moment that I get an email telling myself that I was not cleared for the interview, that I didn't pass the security team. Was that likely a John Teeter imposter? No. And uh, basically, uh, I have a handler, and if they can't clear the people that I'm talking to uh, in a, a reasonable length of time, they don't they don't like me to even talk mm-hmm. uh, on the radio or television or anything. Gotcha. So you do have yeah. a you do have a pretty stringent screening uh, policy because you have to, right? 
Well, uh, I think that I, I had a, a pretty stringent policy in place for my own protection and to keep me alive. Uh-huh. And so we, we, we just have to be careful. Mm-hmm. I've uh, run the gamut. I would say that I've been on talk shows and uh, they, they said, if I didn't know Art Bell. Um, that you weren't I, legit, I, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I have tried to uh, dispel these things. And one of the things that I did when I came to the year 2000, I had a thumb drive in my pocket. And in it was uh, some plans for some spacecraft and power plants. And I had this document there. And it was the, the uh, operations manual for the 177th Time Travel Division. And uh, I've had lots of engineers and people in the military look at it and say, damn, that's how we do it. <laughs> and we actually incorporate it in the book. And no one's ever said that it wasn't exactly the way it's done. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's very uh, different. Uh, but the date on the, the manual is... Uh, 2036. Do you make public appearances, or is that something that you will never consider? I I will do it, uh, because I think that I need to get the message out about the environment. Uh, and I want to talk about extraterrestrials. Uh, for far too long, uh, both these things have been uh, a subject of plausible deniability, uh, intimidation and lies. And I I even would like to talk just very briefly here about time travel and how we do it. Uh, That's excellent, and I want to give you the uh, full opportunity to do that. Uh, John, do we need a time machine to do this? Um, There are three different ways to do it, and one of them is using a stationary time machine uh, designed by Dr. Michio Kaku, uh, a famous... uh, physicist mm-hmm. and astrophysicist. Uh, I actually read his white paper on it, and then I was shown the ma- machine at Area 51. So there is a machine at Area 51 that you can time travel if you can get to it. Uh, it, it requires a tremendous amount of power. Uh, the, most of the facility is underground, but he wrote the paper and and I've since uh, I read the, the paper originally on the internet. They said, "Here, go to this web address and read this," but it's not there anymore. And I've asked him about it, but he he doesn't respond. Do you think he's been paid off? He's uh, employed by the government. Uh-huh. Uh, I would say that uh, the most unusual way to uh, time travel is like Bruce Gernon did. And he's on Facebook, and he had an event where he actually traveled in time. And what was so interesting about it was that he was flying from an island uh, east of Miami, and then he went through electronic fog. And in so doing so, uh, he actually arrived at Miami Airport uh, way ahead of schedule. 
and consumed uh, a lot less gas. And they measured the gas in his tanks, and they measured the time from when he left the island uh, east of Miami Airport and the time he arrived, and they, they confirmed that he had traveled through time. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the third way, and uh, it's been going on for quite a while, uh, if you have a spacecraft, and I'm talking a spacecraft that can travel greater than the uh, speed of light, like a TR-3B that the Air Force flies, uh, you have access to an onboard computer that you basically punch out the date and time you want to go to, and it'll take you there. And this particular craft uses space, time, and gravity. And it actually uh, uses gravity waves and creates its own gravity. And a picture of this spacecraft is on the cover of the book. And this airframe uh, has been around for probably uh, by the year 2000, even uh, probably about a decade. Mm -hmm. And there's been countless sightings of TR-3Bs all over the world. Hmm. So which method did you use to time travel? I have used both the stationary method, that particular uh, machine, and I've also used the TR-3B. And I am uh, have a pilot rating on that particular uh, spacecraft, as well as some others. Mm-hmm. So, how did you become? I don't know if recruited is the right word uh, to join the one seventy seventh time travel division. Um, basically, I think in, in nineteen seventy eight. Uh, I started my career uh, as an airman with the Air Force at Dulce Base in New Mexico. And uh, I had uh, memories of a previous uh, younger life as John Titer, but I was to come uh, to find out that those were implanted and those really weren't my memories. Uh, <clears throat> one of the things that has been going on at Dulce Base uh, for a very long time, is they clone soldiers. Uh, the military realized there was going to be a shortfall uh, in new recruits that were uh, fit for military service. Uh, today, uh, in 2016, uh, it's no secret that uh, 70% of the recruits that the military gets out of high school are unfit for military service, 70%. So where are the pilots going to come from? Yeah. Where, where are the future commanders of Marines and Army going to come from? And uh, they clone uh, hundreds, uh, I would say, in, in about a 90-day period, they clone uh, a couple hundred there at Dulce Base. And they go to uh, different branches of the military. Julius uh, sent a message to the Facebook page at Paranormal Show. I think he just clicked into the program, and he heard you uh, say you've uh, traveled uh, the TR-3B method, which is that triangle flying object, also the stationary method. And he would like to uh, know what the stationary method is. I know you just talked about that, but can you give us uh, a recap? Uh, It's based on quantum uh, theory and quantum mechanics. 
and it requires a tremendous amount of power. When you do the stationary, uh, you take your equipment, uh, you're in a, a uniform, or you're possibly uh, in an attire uh, that fits the time that you're going to, and you're transported there. Uh, so are you just, are you standing like, I don't know, out in the middle of a field and you just, uh, poof, you're gone? Uh, no, that would more or less be like a being brought back. Uh, when you go, you're standing in a uh, circle on a floor and uh, the room is uh, not entirely empty. If there are multiple people going, you're all standing on your marks. In, in this platform, and uh, you hear a whirring noise, and the next thing you know, uh, you're there. Hmm. Can anybody time travel, or only a select few? Uh, the way that it was done at the 177 is that uh, you were called a field operative, and field operatives went under very extensive training, uh, and uh, language schools and things like this. Uh, they were proficient in martial arts. But uh, essentially, in the very beginning, when the government started doing time travel, uh, it was all about observing and reporting and not interfering in the timeline. And this went on for uh, quite a period of time. And uh, I had proposed that we, in some instances of uh, catastrophic situations or uh, disasters that had befallen uh, the United States and uh, our NATO allies, that we could actually try to prevent these uh, catastrophes and natural disasters. 2030 to 2036, does that mean you were, you were time traveling over what we know as six years here in this dimension? Uh, I, I think I went on a couple of missions in that time, yeah. but very quickly uh, I had knowledge that no one else seemed to have, and we'd lost uh, field operatives too. It's very risky, and occasionally we'll lose them and uh, not even be able to recover their bodies. And that happened uh, a few times, but I was promoted to uh, general, and so basically I handed out the missions. But the, the request for the missions, uh, they were called projects, and they usually came down from the Joint Chiefs. Mm -hmm. So, so it's, it's a different kind of thing. What was it like living in the future? Uh, a lot hotter than it is today. Wow, so global and, warming. Yes, and one of the things that I find appalling is that so many people are living in denial, and they think, that we're just going to party on like we are. Uh, we've uh, basically trashed the oceans and we're trashing the atmosphere. The icing on the cake is when the sea starts to rise. Uh, the North Pole right now is no longer uh, locked with ice. It's an ocean. And uh, the seas are going to rise. The Greenland uh, ice sheet is melting and the South Pole is melting. Uh, but at the South Pole, that's a landmass. And interestingly enough, they're finding uh, pyramids and the remains of a civilization that I believe uh, is from the Anunnaki. 
as far as living in the future when it is a lot hotter, John, do we still have a president, a commander-in-chief? Uh, we do. Uh, but I would say that because of what's actually going on right now uh, between uh, Trump and Hillary, the office of the presidency is greatly diminished. Uh-huh. And the, the real power uh, of this country is centralized in Congress between uh, the, the majority leader of the Senate and the Speaker of the House. Huh. And, and what we are living in right now is an oligarchy. Uh, the country is run by Mitch McConnell and uh, Paul Ryan. Uh, I find it incredulous that uh, Hillary Clinton is claiming she's going to do all these things for the American people when, in fact, she's never done anything for anyone, and neither has Barack Obama. And that is because the Congress controls the government. Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan consistently do not work with uh, the Obama administration. Any evidence that you were able to collect, or since you were in a role of a general promoted within the government uh, as the commander of the 177th Time Travel Division, you probably were not allowed to document, were you? Um, they had a policy about what I wrote down, and, and I had a journal that I kept uh, daily, and I would write things down, but the journal wasn't mine. It belonged to the government, you know? Uh, even when I'm uh, on a, uh, a spacecraft, I make daily entries into a journal. So what did John write in those journal entries? Well, I think you're starting to get the idea. Just wait where this conversation heads when the best of 2016 continues with John Tyner. I'm Jeremy Scott, ParabnormalRadio.com is the place. I want to thank our fine radio affiliates, Valentine Radio, WLRU, and a new one that we'll be announcing very, very soon, along with our very, very important and loved streaming partners. We couldn't do it without you. Radionomy, TuneIn, Spreaker, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play Music, and more. From the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest, the best of 2016 continues with John Titer next. Away from the internet, but got minutes? Hear the show for free on your phone. Call 641-793-7154 or 515-605-9553. Hey friends, we're coming up on the end of the year, which means the days are counting down for tax write-offs for 2016. And I can't think of a more worthy cause than the Dr. Edgar Mitchell Foundation for Research into Extraterrestrial Encounters. To grow its efforts and continue the legacy of the late Dr. Edgar Mitchell, Free is asking for your financial support. If you support Free's work, give with your wallet at experiencer.org. That's experiencer.org. This is Into the Paranormal, 24-7, powered by Radionomy at ParabnormalRadio.com. Paranormal News, I'm Carissa Fleck. Talk about earth-shattering. Well, I said shake, rattle and roll. I said shake, rattle and roll. Something is shaking the foundation of rattling nerves in South Dakota and California over the past few weeks. 
A large boom shook windows and houses. It was heard as far away as Nebraska and Montana. The impact is intense at first, before fading out a few seconds later. There have not been any reports of seismic activity or meteorological events. The military says it was not a sonic boom either. Of course, nobody is fessing up. Speculation runs the gamut from natural seismic activity to a secret supersonic aircraft, paranormal phenomena, and even the second coming of Christ. There's a first for everything. More than a third of people in the well-known UFO hotspot of Panama who have had encounters say it stimulates their sexual appetite. One in 16 of the population claims to have seen a UFO in their lifetime. Only 16% say the experience scared them. We all have phobias. What if yours could be erased as if it never existed? Cool, huh? Neuroscientists at the University of Cambridge have developed a method to wipe out phobias directly from the brain. It works through a combination of artificial intelligence and brain scanning technology. It is still a long way from being used to treat the likes of PTSD and other fear-related trauma, but it's promising. Connect with tonight's stories at paraabnormalradio.com. Cowboy went riding out one dark and windy day. Upon a ridge he rested as he went along his way. When all at once a mighty herd of red-eyed cows he saw plowing through the ragged sky and up the cloudy draw. Their brands were still on fire and their hooves were made of steel. Their horns were black and shiny and their hot breath he could feel. Into the paranormal, somewhere between abnormal and paranormal. It's the best of 2016 with John Titer, co-author of Disclosed Chronicles of John Titer II. I live in a compound in Palmdale. It's about two acres with a helipad and uh, several buildings and uh, two uh, chain-link fences around it with concertina wire. Uh-huh. And I have uh, guards and uh, dogs, and uh, the guards are armed. We had an incident here, I think about a, was it about a month ago, Jason? Uh, yeah. Maybe, yeah, about a month ago. And uh, we had someone uh, pull up to the front gate, and uh, they wanted entrance, and uh, they thought that uh, they knew me, and they wanted to come in and talk to me. And uh, It's not the way to do it. <laughs> get out of the truck, and he did, and then uh, he had what we thought was a weapon, and mm-hmm. they loosed the dogs on him. Mm-hmm. And the sheriff comes in and gets him. That's what happens. So this is this is everyday life for you, huh? Uh, about every uh, ninety days, I think. And then uh, my handlers uh, they, they've said that I'm moving, and next year I am definitely moving to someplace else. I've liked it here at the compound because uh, I'm close to Palmdale International Airport. I can go over there, get on Janus, and go to Area 51, or I can drive out to Edwards. And meet with people out there. Uh-huh. And uh, I still go out to Edwards every once in a while uh, and talk to engineers. Uh, it, it's uh, fascinating to me that uh, flying from galaxy to galaxy uh, 
is not a, a perfect science. Mm -hmm. And they're still working on the bugs. So, John, if you don't mind me asking, who pays for this? Do you pay for it? Were you compensated to pay for it? Or uh, is the government paying for it? Uh, uh, the government pays for it. They, they basically made me an offer uh, to reinstate me in the Air Force. And I uh, have dog tags and an ID tag, uh, ID card now. And my wife, too. So uh, we both consult. And probably three, four days a week. Uh, sometimes it's as little as two days a week. It just depends. Whatever they want. What What, what is it like for you in public? Uh, I go out in public. Uh, it just depends on the circumstances. Uh, if I was going to some place uh, where definitely uh, there had been an announcement made, I probably would uh, have a bodyguard. Uh, I recently did uh, a couple of television shows back-to-back, -back, and my handler said, look, you can take a bodyguard, but you're, you're you know, like, you're probably best. At, we're not going to talk about it on uh, any of the communications. You just go. And so I just went and had a nice day, and uh, that was it. But I, I felt good when I got back to the compound again. I don't know. I just like it here now. So there's no doubt in your mind, John, that the U.S. military holds in their hands the ability to time travel. Oh, of course. They, they, they've been doing it. Uh, I would say that there's been some situations when they've averted catastrophes and, and disasters, and uh, sometimes they don't. Uh, I wanted to uh, go to 2009-11. Uh, I wanted to prevent that. And I said, we know who all the conspirators were. We could just arrest them uh, on conspiracy charges, and that would be it. And we could do rendition or send them straight to Guantanamo. And uh, I presented budgets and presented uh, timetables and personnel that would be involved, and I was told no. I really wanted to do it. And there was another time when uh, I came up with an idea because uh, people on the planet were dying of radiation poisoning uh, after World War III had taken place, and I said, we can go back and prevent it. And that one time, uh, the Joint Chiefs said, do it. And so we actually sent a team back in time, and we confronted the uh, country that actually uh, starts World War III. It wasn't the Russians. Uh, and turned it around. Mm -hmm. So uh, the thinking of the military in, in the very beginning was we could go and observe and report. And then uh, the last few missions I was involved in, they said we can change the timeline when it becomes imperative to the destiny of mankind, mankind's survival. We're talking about Disclosed Chronicles of John Teeter II. John blogs at the 177th Time Travel Division on Facebook. What is some of the reaction you get to your story, John? Well, uh, on the book on Amazon, 
I think we have about 31 uh, reviews of the book. And some are very positive. Uh, there's about 22 positive, and I think there's uh, nine that said, uh, the book wasn't what I expected. Uh, another one argued about uh, CO2 in the atmosphere and didn't like that. Uh, then the way that we presented uh, the book, uh, specific missions and specific years. Uh, we uh, take the reader to 2030, we take the reader to 2050, uh, and we explain what the world is like in 2050. Mm -hmm. uh, by 2100, uh, the uh, environmental devastation is just incredible. Uh, we're talking uh, 140 uh, degree heat in, in some areas of the world, and people uh, can't deal with it. Uh, the fisheries have died off. Uh, there's famine. Uh, disease is out of control. Uh, it's not a nice place. Mm -hmm. So how much longer do you think that we can continue to sustain what we are doing right now, treating the planet the way that we do, and treating each other the way that we do? Well, uh, in Scientific American, there was an interesting article not too long ago, and occasionally I do write for Scientific American. Uh, they said they projected when the krill die in the oceans, and that food chain that depends on the krill dies off, that that will be uh, the door slamming in the face of a lot of people. And they suspect by 2100, there'll be a tremendous die-off of humanity on this planet. Now, the plain fact of the matter is, uh, we have two off-world colonies, but neither of these colonies are self-sufficient. They depend on uh, space freighters from Earth to sustain themselves. It takes a long time to get a colony that is self-sufficient. They can use the resources of the planet and actually uh, not require uh, outside help. So the, the situation is that the Earth is getting warmer, uh, the off-world colonies aren't ready to go on their own, and uh, very likely uh, mankind as we know it will expire uh, on planet Earth by 2100, maybe uh, 2200 is the latest, and then the off-world colonies will fail. Now, I, I don't know if you saw the news this past week, but Elon Musk, who's the founder of SpaceX, uh, came out and revealed the interplanetary transport system, or the heart of gold, that he says by the year 2022 will be able to transport uh, either 100 tons of supplies or 100 colonists up to the red planet by 2022, which is going to beat NASA there by 10 years. And the goal is to start a human civilization up there. What do you think? Uh, I don't think it'll make any difference. Uh, there was a civilization on Mars. Uh, the Anunnaki had civilized that planet. And there was uh, hydrogen bombs going off all over that planet. And they fled. And uh, the Anunnaki had uh, colonized the Earth. Mm -hmm. And they were attacked and they fled the Earth pretty much. Uh, the last bastion that I know of for the Anunnaki is on Nibiru, and I have been there. You've, you've and, been to uh, Nibiru? Yes. 
Hmm. So it, it actually does exist. I know that there are many people that say, you know, there's no evidence of sus. Well, it would be the 12th planet or uh, it would be the, the 10th planet uh, if uh, Pluto was still regarded as a planet and not a dwarf. So, but I, I went there on a diplomatic mission uh, and uh, I got to see uh, their cities. I got to see, meet their people and they're quite tall. Uh, I got to see uh, the way they live. It was a very different from what we live. They don't have homelessness. Uh, everybody gets a job if they want it. Uh, medical care is free for everyone. Uh, they had, I landed at the spaceport. At the spaceport, I saw uh, greys. I saw uh, reptilians. A couple different subspecies. One had wings. Uh, it was very interesting. Um, and they, it's like going through customs at a spaceport. Mm-hmm. All these different uh, species, and they all are trading and doing commerce. And it seemed very peaceful. But the Anunnaki are a warlike people. They've roamed the galaxy, uh, plundering planets and subjugating their peoples. John, you may not know this, but I actually, in my hands right now, I hold the Temporal Reconnaissance Operations Manual for the 177th Time Travel Division. This is some top secret stuff. Uh, It says this document supersedes all previous dated materials June 25th, 2035, and it says on the second page that this document is for your eyes only. Uh, am I not supposed to have this? Uh, I distributed that. Uh, they can't do anything to me because it's in the future. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just one of the documents that I wrote and I kept. And uh, we talk about it every once in a while, you know. And uh, the uh, current manual, I think, of this timeline is like version six or seven. And they, and they, you know, they, they look at that one every once in a while and they say, well, do you want to take this over and we'll just run it that way? And ultimately that may happen. They were mm-hmm. talking to me about that the other day. Uh, I've, I've been offered different jobs. They wanted me to be an administrator uh, of an off-world colony, and I basically turned it down. Yeah. Anything that, that you'd like to expand on that we've talked about uh, so far? I just want to say that uh, for, all, for, for a very long time, uh, the American people in the world have not known about uh, the spacecraft that the U.S. Air Force has in inventory. Uh, I want to go back to what Ben Rich said on his deathbed. And he was the CEO of Lockheed Martin. And he said, uh, we either fly theirs, meaning the extraterrestrials, or we fly ours, which are reverse engineered. And no one's ever disputed that statement or disputed the, uh, the manual that you have. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm curious, John, if you have any knowledge or if it might even just be a personal belief, if something to this extent, whether as big or uh, maybe even bigger, is happening right now? Uh, 
I think that there are some, some things that are going on right now. Uh, a lot of people are, are talking about Nibiru and they think it's going to hit the planet. And I want to assure them that it is not. Uh, well, thank you the for other that. Thing, uh, it's not going to happen. And the other thing that's going on is that we're moving towards uh, a civil war in some ways. Uh, this Black Lives Matter uh, movement is very detrimental to the uh, American people. And the American people need to get behind our country and our flag. And I don't think that anyone should take a knee during the national anthem. I do not either. Well, this is certainly boggling my mind tonight. Would you say that it's common, uh, John, that we are living on another timeline, many of us, but we don't know it? Uh, that's very likely. Uh, the timeline has been changed a few times. And basically, uh, you wouldn't necessarily notice it when it happened. Uh, one of the things that I noticed was that it used to be that uh, evidence regarding JFK's assassination was going to be held by the U.S. government till 2036. And then, quite recently, it was changed to 2017, hmm. next year. And it's a very subtle change. So things are going to change in the near future uh, with that respect uh, in particular. But I think there are subtle changes made to the timeline all the time. We talked about in the news, there's this hangar at Area 51 that through new satellite imagery has been pictured uh, in just actually the last couple of days which shows a hangar that's about 200 by 200 feet, very, very tall. It shows very significant process, uh, progress. rather. And in 2006, there was another one of these facilities that many say house Northrop Grumman projects like a spy drone. Are you aware of any of this, John, considering you were involved in the 177th Time Travel Division at Area 51? Oh, they're going to burn me for saying this. Uh, there's a starship in there with warp drive. Oh, so the the warp drive that I guess NASA it's is real. Tr is trying to confirm it is real. Yeah, warp drive, it's real. And so, how long would it take to get to Mars with this warp drive? Uh, pretty quick. <laughs> quicker you than know, anything quicker in our than thirty days. System? Uh, it would be like uh, just a few days. But the interesting thing is uh, you get going so fast and then you have to put the brakes on so you don't, you know, uh, run smack dab into the middle of a, a meteorite or a planet. So it's not that quick a trip. And you have to achieve an orbit that's safe. So I would say that you could get it down to a week easily mm -hmm. and, and be in a, a safe orbit or even a stationary orbit, orbiting a specific part of the planet. Not a problem. You know, John, inquiring minds want to know, and uh, you can't tell us everything, because if you do tell us everything, then, I don't know, maybe not that people could get to you, but they might try to breach your compound 
or, or at least silence you in some way. But if there is a starship uh, with a warp drive at Area 51 that can take us to Mars in just a few days, is there any other technology that would be housed there in hangars so uh, big? Uh, that's the only thing. Uh, so no I alien bodies, Ros- no uh, Roswell remnants or alien bodies there that you know of? No, that would the, all that went to Wright-Patterson. Yeah. And uh, basically there's a below-ground facility there uh, of several stories uh, below ground. Uh, I saw uh, the Roswell uh, crash uh, vehicle there. Uh, I saw bodies there. Uh, I've seen uh, extraterrestrial uh, weapons there. At Wright-Patterson? Um, yes. So Wright-Patterson, that's the, the museum, so to speak. Uh-huh. That's where everything went. And Area 51 came later, and it started, uh, you know, with the U-2 project and moved on from there. You said earlier in the hour that you want to talk ETs. Have you seen extraterrestrials besides the uh, bodies you mentioned at at, uh, Wright-Patterson? Tall whites, gray aliens, um... And reptilians? Reptilians, yes. Actually, Barack Obama has had reptilians on his security detail. What? And they've been photographed. You didn't know that? No, I'm. my mind is blown. Oh. Uh, I can send you photos. If you, if, uh, and Jason's seen the photos, too. Jason, uh, what? Most recently, uh, I had a video clip sent to me by uh, a friend, and it showed a great alien uh, greeting uh, a man in off the coast of uh, in Spain. And this video uh, was very good, and you can see the great alien uh, greeting and using telepathy to uh, talk to this man. And uh, if you'd like, I can send you. A copy of that video. Oh, you are darn right. I would like to see that. Uh, so have my people get with your people in that sense, John. Uh, yeah. Jason, what do you know about genetically engineered cloned super soldiers, John? Uh, I think that there are tens of thousands uh, in our military and in the secret space program. And these soldiers are... Uh, physically fit. Uh, they use more than just 10% of their brain. Um, they are uh, basically super soldiers. And I believe that uh, Edward Snowden has released documentation to the Russians and the Iranians along with information about our treaties with the Talbites and other extraterrestrials. Mm-hmm. And the Russians and the Iranians, they both said uh, that Obama should come forth and make that information known to the public. Now, didn't the Russians also say that uh, if President Barack Obama didn't, they would? Yes, they've, they've threatened that. 
And the other thing most interesting was that uh, the uh, Iranians have accused Barack Obama of being a clone. And it is possible. Uh, Yeah, anything's possible, really, in this day and age. John, my absolute pleasure to hear your voice tonight. Uh, Your final thoughts. Uh, I think that uh, there are some big things in the future, and uh, I think that more than ever we're moving towards disclosure, but we're not quite there yet. Yet isn't that what they say year after year? I mean, here another 365 days has come and gone, and still we stand on this stage with no formal disclosure. Well, wake up, friends. The disclosure is the stuff you heard tonight from Preston Dennett, an authority on the UFO subject for more than 30 years. John Titer, uh, authority on the subject of time travel for as long or longer. Disclosure is happening right under your nose. You don't have to look very far. And if you're right here on the program every week, we certainly will give you an inside peek to that. As we look into the year 2017, I am back next week with Tom Moore, ET Conversations. Also, we've got Psychic Predictions coming up. A program with Jose Escamilla planned on the 21st of January, talking about his new documentary, Skyfish Rods. And we'll also get into a conversation about cryptids, UFO sightings, and more, all in the month of January. Follow along at parabnormalradio.com. From the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest, I'm Jeremy Scott. I'll talk to you next year. Here we go. 20, 19, 18, 17, 16, 15, 14, 13, 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, For supporting our advertisers, it keeps the show free for everyone. This statement has not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. No offense, but are you a little fat when you look in the mirror? How do you like to learn the secret to losing three to five pounds a week without joining the gym or going through any crazy diets? It's called Body Sculpt RX. For the last two decades, we've helped countless people lose thousands of pounds, and now. It's your turn. Learn how to lose weight with one simple phone call and no prescription needed. You'll see an amazing difference in a matter of days. Don't believe us? We'll offer you a risk-free money-back guarantee. So if you're ready to start losing weight, call right now and get a free month supply with your first order of Body Sculpt RX. Call now. You have nothing to lose but the pounds. 800-395-4207. 800-395-4207. That's 800-395-4207. 
You've heard me talking about my Patriot supply for a while, and things aren't getting any easier. From global conflicts and unstable supply chains, when shelves run on empty, you don't have to panic. Choose peace of mind with their three-month emergency food supply to keep your shelves and your stomach full. In an emergency, you won't have the time, resources, and ingredients to prepare your meals in the way you're used to. But you can get a leg up with My Patriot Supply. It's a three-month emergency food supply. You don't have to skimp. It's ready when you are. It's disaster-proof. And no food boredom here. 20-plus flavorful food and drink varieties. My Patriot Supply is offering a special deal for Into the Parabnormal listeners when you go to parabnormalradio.com food. Get your My Patriot Supply today from parabnormalradio.com food. That's parabnormalradio.com food.